Wesley Peeps, and thanks for tuning in to episode 001 of The Pursuit, the official podcast of the Tarleton Wesley Foundation, where we talk about all things the life of college students. Some of our topics are going to be specific to Tarleton, but a lot of it's not. Through these episodes of this podcast, we're going to talk about questions of theology that maybe our students are struggling with, um, some topics of deconstruction. We're going to talk about video games because I love video games and books and movies and current events, and most likely there's even going to be a whole lot of nonsense. I'm Reverend Corey Moses, the pastor and director of the Wesley Foundation at Tarleton State University, and I'm excited to jump into this podcast with you all. Each week, we're going to have a guest co-host joining us on the podcast to help lead us in our topic of the day. Sometimes they'll be from our board of directors. Some will be clergy friends and colleagues across our conference. Some will be Tarleton faculty or staff. And on occasion, we'll get a chance to hear from some of our student leaders. And with me today is Dr. Ben Sword. Ben, welcome to The Pursuit. For starters, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you and why are you here? Awesome. Uh, thanks very much for the invite, Corey. Uh, so again, my name is Ben Sword. I am. Uh, I wear a few different hats at uh, at Tarleton. Yeah. Uh, I've been in Tarleton now for almost two decades. Uh, Dang. Yeah, that hurts. <laughs> uh, I've been at Tarleton long enough that my daughter will soon be a Tarleton freshman. Yes. Uh, so, um, but I'm an associate dean with the College of Liberal and Fine Arts. Uh, I've been doing the, the dark side of administration now for a few years. Um, associate professor uh, in the Department of English and Languages, and specifically, I teach rhetoric classes. So, um, uh, I, and I really love the idea of being able to explore the role that language plays in how we connect with and uh, individuals, how we shape our world. And I think that certainly there's a whole lot of really great exploration when we think about that and the role that it plays in our lives and in our faith. Uh, and so, I'm happy to, to be a part of this uh, this week and maybe in some coming opportunities down the road as well. Okay. And, and what, has been, what has been your kind of impression, perception, experience with the Wesley here at Tarleton? Uh, the thing I think I've really appreciated about the, the Wesley is that it is a place where it fits into the larger narrative of what college should be, where yeah. you come, you experience things maybe you haven't really thought about before. You experience things that you have a real deep connection with and a history with, but you're getting to launch into them in some of your own ways. Um, you know, high school students, you've been going to class and doing the whole school thing for mm -hmm. years now, but you've never done the whole school thing mm -hmm. in the way that you do it at college. Right. Um, and part of the faith journey, I think, when you are a student, um, a college student and, and, a, and a young, developing professional and scholar and adult, you're doing all of those things. You're thinking of yourself as a student in a new way, as a professional, and also in faith. You may be doing faith and interacting with the church and your own faith in a lot of ways similar, but also some ways that are different. And I think the Wesley is a, an area where you can do that, where you can celebrate the parts of your faith that have been long held, and also think in some new ways and maybe explore and feel comfortable and confident in sometimes being uncomfortable yeah. and totally without confidence and how awesome that is. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, in the spirit of fair play, uh, let me turn that back on you now, Corey. So tell us a little bit, uh, since this is our first episode, about you and why are you here? Yeah, yeah. No, I appreciate that. I know I don't want to spoil anything. I know we're going to get into that a little deeper later. But yeah, uh, I, I am here because I love working with college students. I didn't know how much I loved working with college students until I got into campus ministry. But I just, I, I just believe as goes the campus, 
so goes the world. And, and I, I listen, it doesn't take long to be around these students to, to really understand the fact that these, these young individuals are going to change the world. I do believe that. They, every Tuesday night at dinner church, it is very evident I am the dumbest person at the table. <laughs> because, so, so I'm just, I'm passionate about the future with these students. I'm passionate about the transformative work that God is doing in the lives of these students and getting to experience that firsthand. And, uh, and yeah, and I'm here to, to help students build a community and invest in one another and, and cultivate meaningful relationships authentically. And, and, and because ministry is about investing in one another and investing in others. And, and if it doesn't take, you don't have to read far into the scriptures, into the, the gospels, looking to Jesus as an example. I mean, Jesus' example of discipleship was investing in people. Um, and so, and that's, that's what I'm passionate about. I love that I get to do it so much of it one-on-one -on -one with the students. And, um, and then just kind of sit back and just watch God's transformative grace take over and just change their lives. I mean, I, I, could, I won't, but I could sit here and tell you story after story of student after student after student that is, is not the same person they were as when they started at the Wesley because of the, the work of God in their lives. And so, so that's why I'm here. Uh, I, I love, I, I, my wife and I have been married 17 years. We have two daughters. Uh, one of them's about to be 16. It's exhausting. We have two dogs. There's a cat. There's a bearded dragon and a leopard gecko at our house. So there's never a dull moment. Um, I love getting out on the highways when I can, when it's not 9,000 degrees in Central Texas on my motorcycle and just riding. Because on my bike, I can't listen to music. I can't answer emails. I can't, I can't do any of that. I, I just ride. And, and it, it truly is wind therapy. And... Uh, it's good. It's good stuff. So. All right. So as excited as I am for us to jump into our, our topic of the day for this episode 001 of The Pursuit, uh, before we talk about work, Ben, let's talk about our free time, what we do. I, I, know, I know you like to read, obviously. I know you, we've talked a little bit about you like to play video games and movies. So... So what are you reading, playing, watching? What what do you what do you what's taking up your free time right now? Um, well, uh, some of my recent free free time has been taken up with uh, home DIY projects. <laughs> uh, so there's nothing better when it's 110 degrees and being outside building something in the backyard. It's better but, you uh, than me, man. Uh, when I'm not sweating from that, uh, as far as things I'm reading. Um, uh, working my way through a book right now that uh, you and I have spent a good bit of time yeah. talking about. Uh, the, the title here uh, will take a while, so I'll take a deep <laughs> breath here. And this is a long title. So the title is How the Bible Actually Works, in which I explain how an ancient, ambiguous, and diverse book leads us to wisdom rather than answers, and why that's great news. Uh, and the author of that is uh, Peter Enns. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that book is a great connection to kind of what we talked about before when he talks about how uh, the Bible is not answers right. uh, and how it leads us to all of these sort of other things. Often it just leads us to other questions, more complex questions and challenges. And, and like I said, I think that's the beauty of um, 
we talked about the idea of the, the university and, and colleges and a college ministry, but I think it's just in general uh, a faith journey where you, you're looking for things like that. So that book has been a great thing there. As far as just my general mind-numb reading, I've actually just decided to kind of launch through the Jack Ryan series on, okay. in the first one, so Hunt for Red October. Nice. I've uh, just been kind of uh, diving into that a little bit and, and um, just got a little started into that one. Um, other hobbies, I am a huge sports junkie. Uh, which I know is not your bag, (laughs) so I won't try to set you up for any uh, uh, references here because they will be lost on you. Um, So uh, I love watching sports. I love talking sports. Uh, I can sort of deep dive and nerd out on any and all things sports. Really, that was kind of my entree into video gaming was Mm. mostly just playing sports games. Okay. Um, In fact, one of my closest friends in the world, we used to have a tradition that went all the way through college, and then we held on to it for a number of years after college, the the day that the Madden football game released, we would go buy a copy of it, go buy the store and get like a six pack of Mountain Dew or energy drinks. It's always Mountain Dew. Yeah, um, <laughs> old school gaming, um, and some energy drinks and like moon pies. Exactly, some sort of other sugar. <laughs> And we would just stay up all night, and we would draft play teams, and we would oh, create man. players, and so we would do just all night Madden with that game. And then even after college, we would set up like he would come, you know, drive a couple hours to my house and crash in a spare room, and then we would stay up all night on the Madden release. Oh, so man. that was kind of my entrance into. Uh, since then, I've gotten into other games, games that allow me a space to just connect with my friends. That to me is the main part of gaming. Yeah. Um, you, you talked about the idea of community that mm-hmm. we find it, and then we want to embrace it where it where we can find those moments for it. That's what gaming is for me. So I play um, games like Overwatch yeah. that allows you to get into a group uh, and... And if, get destroyed. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm fine getting owned by the other players as long as in my headset uh, I hear both the sound of my character taking damage and my friends <laughs> laughing with me along. Yeah. And so, you know, I've got friends you know, all over the state and all over the country, um, and the idea that I can just send them a text and say, hey, jump on, we're playing now, and we can do that. Um, that, that that's what I, I really loved about gaming. So less of the sports games recently and more of those things where okay. it's, it's just the chance to, uh, to connect and be a, be a part of laughing and joking and, uh, getting rolled with, uh, with friends. So, so back to the book you were talking about, I did, it did spark a question that I had because, you know, for so many people we, we have, and, and I, I think throughout this podcast, we're probably going to dive into this, this topic a lot. Uh, but so many people they've 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 placed this Bible on such a high pedestal of authority. And don't misunderstand me; I'm not saying we shouldn't. But um, as we talked about with the book by uh, David Gushy, After Evangelicalism, he he kind of poses the question of maybe we have maybe we have put too much authority on the Bible in a way that that it was never designed to have. But when you have that conversation with people, um, it it seems like the the first reaction is the whole house of cards comes crashing down, and so if if the Bible is our only kind of um, lifeline to to understand who God is and how God relates to creation and how we are to love God and how we are to love others, but then we we come across this notion of well that's really not exactly what it was designed to be because i mean i I like the the peter ann's book it's he does a great job of laying this out but where's the hope in that right yeah um i think 
So a lot of the stuff that I've been reading or even watching some uh, content creators who are, you know, biblical scholars, um, one of the things that has been really fascinating for me that, that goes along with that same notion is um, one of the creators that I watch a lot talks about the, the problem that we have about the idea of the Bible being univocal. Yeah. We talk about the Bible as this singular book that is the like the same from the first word to the to the mm-hmm. end. We pick up a novel by you know uh, Faulkner. It's Faulkner at the beginning. It's Faulkner in the middle. Right. It's Faulkner at the end. The Bible is not that way. It's not a singular text. Um, Paul's letters were individual letters that he sat down and wrote mm-hmm. to a particular faith community in a particular community at a particular time to do a specific job. Um, and so I think that's the, when you talk about where's the hope is that the validity of the Bible, the value of the Bible is never all dependent on what one specific scripture says or one specific verse. And wait a minute, if this verse is different than that verse, well, of course it's different than that verse. It was written a couple of hundred years apart by people living in totally different circumstances, trying to do a different thing. And so the, the question isn't so much about, well, you know, what's always in this exact verse, what did it say, but what are my relationships to, what are the relationships of the person writing it at that time, mm-hmm. their goals, and and what am I going through now, and, and how can I find some connection there? And you can find really different connection in one of Paul's letters than in a, a text that's talking about, you know, early Jewish history, yeah. uh, Old Testament, um, and understanding them all as being those different things, different things composed by different people at different times in different circumstances, yeah. but not just one big book that's the same voice from the beginning and the end. And I think when we see it and we see all of those different voices struggling in all those different circumstances, celebrating in some different circumstances, what we actually then get to see is that sort of singular notion of God. Yeah, uh, The book doesn't have to be singular in voice for it to be something that speaks to us through you know, a, a singular God. And, and I think we see God more embracing all of it than trying to just assume it's one voice all the time. Yeah, yeah, it, it brings three, three statements to mind. One, um, something does not have to be factual to convey a great truth. Um, two, we have to be able to separate the, the authority of Scripture versus the authority of our interpretation of Scripture. And three, um, we, the way that we interpret Scripture hinges greatly on do we believe the Scriptures to be an inspired collection of words about God or do we believe the scriptures to be the word, physical word of God? Because if it's, if it's a collection of inspired writings about God, then, then I'm allowed to ask questions. And, and I, I think scriptures would argue that we should ask, you, ask questions, as we're going to get into later um, in today's episode. But, but if, it's, if we say that we believe wholeheartedly that, that the scriptures are the divinely authored, penned, physical word of God, and uh, I'm not going to ask any questions of that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it, it builds up walls that didn't allow you yeah. to really uh, connect with your faith. We talked 
already how many times have we talked about communities yeah um, why on earth would we want to then create people who have we want you to have communities reach out connect 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 um, but we're going to build a wall between you and your connection to God that mm-hmm. one you can't that one you can't do no community there right. um, so we ask questions of people in our communities we embrace them sometimes we challenge them we go back and forth right um, I think you ought to be able to do that with some of these texts as well. So there's a real long answer to what I'm... That's why it's been yeah. taking me so long to read that book. Yeah, no, that, every page brings up a whole yeah. long conversation. And what's great about that book is it's it's not a hard book to read, right? Like, it's it's not a difficult... like it, It's not a seminary book. <laughs> but it's it's one that, that you can pick up and read. And you can either dip your toe in the shallow end or dive into the deep end. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So that was my really long and winding answer to the question. So what is it that you're reading, playing, spending your free time in? Yeah, so as far as reading, um, well, the same book, which is why I had so many questions to discuss with it. And we, and as we have already in the past several weeks of us diving into that book, um, by Peter Enns, we we could we could go I mean, we could dedicate several episodes just to that book, I think, or or any of the other books that you and I have read together. Um, but other than that, like I, I don't really read for leisure. Um, I have I have a I have the the blessing of ADHD that that prevents that from being an option for me most of the time. <laughs> so so usually the only reading that I do is spiritual development, personal development, that sort of thing. I have read for pleasure before. Um, I love science fiction. Like The Martian is one of the best science fiction books that I've read mm-hmm. lately. It's so good. I, I couldn't put it down. Like everyone else in the house was asleep and I'm sitting there with the light on my phone reading it at 3 a.m. because I couldn't put it down. Because the chapters were short, right? It was short journal entries. Like, hey, I can already, it's only two pages. I can keep going. You know, you mentioned uh, not being super into pleasure reading. That was always really the case for me. I've, I've never been super and like, wait, the guy who's got the PhD in English. And uh, in fact, I kind of, for a long time, long time felt like an outsider in the whole academic world. I grew up in an oil field family. I worked on rigs to pave to go to college. Um, and I always thought, yeah, this is probably not the world for me. Uh, this is not the place I belong in. Uh, and one day I, when I was an undergrad, the faculty of the English department were sitting around a circle and they were playing a game and the game was like a, uh, a one-upping game. But the whole role of the game was they went around in a circle and each one named the title of some super famous book that every English major, certainly every English professor has clearly definitely read. And their thing was, I've never read this one. And they would just go around the room, just openly admitting to their colleagues, yeah, that one that everybody has read. And you, I mean, if you haven't read that, what are you doing? Never read it. Yeah. Um, and just and all laughing about it. And none of them came away going, So wow. it was nerd, never have I ever. Exactly. But <laughs> none of it ever questioned their value to the yeah. faculty. You're like, oh, well, you don't belong or something like that. And I was like, you know what? I, maybe this is a world that, you know, when they all the sort of pretense and the nonsense was gone and it was just people having that real conversation and just admitting, hey, yeah, I never read that, never did that or whatever. It was a really sort of cool, it probably strangely enough opened the door for me to okay. continue into a world that I might have convinced myself otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they'll never know that because uh, I just kind of was just sitting on the periphery just seeing that conversation. Right. Uh, but that was a huge sort of thing, um, just hearing them you know, make that, cool. uh, those, those admissions and have that conversation. Yeah. It was similar for me when I was in, uh, in graduate school and undergraduate school working on my music degrees. And <laughs> I just remember, I, I remember feeling like I was such a horrible music student because I didn't sit around listening to classical music. 
And like they were like, you mean you don't, you don't know this opera? No, nope, never heard of it. <laughs> you mean you don't, you haven't studied this, you haven't listened to this, and you don't buy records of these? No, I don't do that. <laughs> so I kind of was like, I'm gonna do my own thing. But as far as um, watching, man, I started getting into the the third season of The Witcher on Netflix. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about, and this is way off topic, but. I'm sure you've heard that they've 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 removed Henry Cavill post season three from The Witcher, and replaced him with Liam Hemsworth. Now Henry Cavill he plays that role really really well. Mm -hmm. So I'm not I mean I'm not saying it's not going to be good, but Liam Hemsworth has got some big shoes to fill on The Witcher, and so that's been good. Um, of course, just a mindless comedy that I like to have on to fill dead space because I, I don't like silence always king of the hill is a go-to mm -hmm. raising hope is a new one i've been watching lately i don't know mm -hmm. if you've watched that or not that show is just funny um but as far as playing man i, I love video games we play a lot of overwatch you and know, i play some overwatch together we uh we at times will will get our our sweat rags out and and endure a little apex legends it's a short window though um we started recently playing the, this new game called Exo Primal, where you, I was talking about it earlier. You know, they you're kind of controlling these exosuits and and fighting as a team against dinosaurs um, in the modern world, as well as against another team of players. Um, do you do you find yourself being having a preference? Are you a first-person shooter? Are you open-world kind of games? Do you go through phases where it's like, man, you know, I realized for the last couple of years I've been playing a ton of open-world yeah. games, and then you'll have... How does that work for you when you start looking at different game categories? Yeah, it, it kind of depends on the mood that I'm in. Like, like when I'm in the more, like, like chill, kind of contemplative mood, I like to, like, I... I used to be strictly first-person shooter games. Like, Halo was the only game that I would play for a long time. And then, and then so we. Did you ago, ever play Halo like old school LAN? Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's like, what we do did. You remember in college. Like, <laughs> like what was the largest group you ever remember getting together, hooking up? Uh, we machines. always had. Well, we did it in college. We did it over the campus network, and so if you plugged into the wall with your Xbox, you were automatically doing System Link, mm -hmm. right? And so we we always had a full what was it sixteen players in the lobby or whatever all the time. It was just chaos. Yeah, I think the the largest full on land one I ever did was at a person's house where we had people in every bedroom oh and someone gosh. in the living room, which was so amazing to uh, to get taken out and then just hear maniacally laughing, <laughs> not even through your headset, just through the wall yeah. of that bedroom of the. Well, yeah, because we didn't have headsets then. Yeah, uh, and so all of a sudden you just heard the the laughter of the person who had just you know wiped you out, or or you you get somebody and you just hear now nah! from across yeah. the house. That was always so great. So or you hear you gotta stop screen watching. <laughs> Oh yeah, man, that was a good time. I saw a picture a while back, and it was it was a picture of somebody holding hosting one of those LAN parties, and there was like TV screens all over the room, and it was bunk beds, and there was a guy laying on the bottom bunk, and the screen was duct taped to the underside of the bunk above him, and he's sitting there playing like it's like it was just chaos, man, just utter chaos. And and I mean, I can remember weekends in college, that's what we did. We because we had four of us in one apartment, and then four of us in another apartment there on campus. And we just, you'd be, be here, everybody yelling at each other across the apartment mm -hmm. or, or whatever. I mean, that's, that's what we did. We sound so old. I, I feel it some days too. But, uh, 
But as far as the open world stuff, man, I love Fallout. Fallout uh, 3, 4, and New Vegas. 76 kind of went a little downhill. But uh, Fallout is just... because I, I it, For it to be a really good RPG and open world game for me, it's got to suck me into the story early. Uh, otherwise, I'm going to lose interest. But uh, I recently... I. I I have stepped away from it because I'm I'm ready to fight Ganondorf and I, I don't want to fight Ganondorf, so I'm still in Tears of the Kingdom, the Zelda game. <laughs> but uh, it, it's that's a beautiful game, you know. To to look at a game like Apex Legends, that's a what is it a 90 gig download for Apex Legends, and then you see just this beautiful game of Zelda that's like a 160-hour playthrough with three levels of the map and this huge world and huge story and 16 gigabytes. <laughs> it's like, what is going on over at Nintendo? <laughs> but, but yeah, um, that's pretty much what I'm playing right now. Uh, I'm always, I love Xbox Game Pass because I can, I can see a game that looks kind of cool. I'm like, oh, let's go to cloud game and play it for a little bit. Nah, I'm not feeling it and move on. Or, or play all the way through it, as I have with, with a few. So, yeah, there's a lot of fun stuff out there, man. All right, so um, I appreciate, Corey, that, that you brought me on here and you told me sort of how you wanted the layout of the, mm-hmm. the podcast to work, and you said that there would be a section on topic of the day, and I started thinking, oh, man, what sort of super interesting thing <laughs> is he going to bring me on there? What, what important topic... Does Corey believe that I have something of value to discuss? And yeah, no pressure it. for the first episode. Um, <laughs> and so after I had spent some time thinking and was putting together like brilliant insights on countless topics. Oh, yeah. I have no um, Then uh, I followed up with a text of, so what is the topic of the day? And usually the topic of the day was you. Ah. Uh, so I just get to come on. Uh, and talk to you about you. Okay. Uh, figured it probably made a lot of sense if this is going to be a podcast that while other people are going to come in and out leading through this journey and guiding people through this journey, uh, the, the one sort of constant presence will be you. Um, not just really, I don't even think I would say sort of trying to guide people through their faith journeys, uh, making theirs and yours along with them, mm-hmm. both in this con- yeah. um, both in this podcast and just through the ministry. So I think that's a good topic for today. Just okay. getting to know you and, and sort of where you are. So I, I think one of the first questions people ask anybody who is in any, any sort of a role, and I think we often ask of ministers, pastors, mm-hmm. what is it that, that brought you to the ministry? Yeah, so I grew up in uh, in a big city of Brownwood, Texas. I know you know Brownwood because you went to college with Howard was, Payne. Yep, my uh, alma mater. I grew up at the big First Baptist Church of Brownwood, right across the street from Howard Payne University. A bunch of Howard Payne faculty were members of that church. Um, when I graduated high school, there were a lot of questions of why I wasn't going to Howard Payne. Um, uh, I was ready to leave town, you know. Uh, I, I went into the National Guard when I was 17. I did the split option enlistment program, which meant the summer after my junior year in high school, I went to basic training. That was mm-hmm. fun at the age of 17 years mm-hmm. old. Then, um, and then I came back, finished high school, and then that next summer they sent me off to Fort Jackson, South Carolina to finish uh, my training with AIT. So I just, I, there was never, you know, people tell their call stories a lot, and, and there's some that are really boring. There's some that are really exciting. There's some that I would question any validity to <laughs> personally. 
But, um, you know, that's one thing I love about the United Methodist Church, though, right, is we, we love, number one, we love questions. But number two, we love our quadrilateral, right? And, and a very important piece of that quadrilateral is experience. And so when I hear a lot of people talk about things in their faith or, or things that they believe or who they believe God to be or what, what they have experienced in their faith, um, I try not to disvalue that, but I, what I do try to do is, is come back and say, that's just not been my experience. And so when people talk about their call and I heard the word of God and I heard the voice of God and I heard this and I, the heavens opened and it was written on the cloud, like, cool, that, that wasn't my experience. You know, I, uh, I thought I had a call moment. Oh yeah. Have we ever had this conversation? No. Yeah. So, uh. Yeah, um, when I grew up in the super small town in the Panhandle, I was always, you know, part of church and the kids groups and then the youth groups and, um, you know, just kind of always a part of my that little church and kind of a, I don't want to say a leader, I mean, a leader when there's like nine of you in the group. <laughs> um, but I think it was always just kind of the expectation of many of the adults in oh, the yeah. church that I went to that, oh, well, he's clearly going to go into the ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in our day, you know, you had, I mean, you were in church three, four nights a week, mm-hmm. Sunday morning, Sunday night, you had Wednesdays and then there was youth on this day and that. And, and I was there for He's all of them. He's a natural born leader. And my mom played piano in the church that oh, I grew yeah. up in. Uh, so we were going to be there on Sunday, no matter what, because mom was going to be playing the offertory. <laughs> um, but it was just kind of in the air, this expectation. And of course I started picking up on that. And I remember going to a church camp and I heard the call and we had a pastor, and this he was a he was a really great guy. Had we didn't at the time there was no youth minister at the church, so the pastor went with us on that specific camp trip. And um, after we came back, and you know I'd said this, and everybody was like, "Yeah, we knew it, dude. This is what you're meant to do." He he pulled me aside, and we have a conver- had a conversation, and he told me he said, "As a pastor, I can tell you that there is no person in the world who is more fulfilled than a pastor who has been called than a minister who has been called to the ministry." And there is no person in the world more miserable than a minister in the ministry who yeah, has not been called to the ministry. Mm-hmm. Being someone who this is the path you're supposed to be on is wildly fulfilling. And if you're trying to be on this path for some other thing because others expect you to be here, or that's just kind of what you've always been told, so that seems like inertia is just moving you this way, mm-hmm. uh, eventually inertia stops pushing and something else isn't going to be there to fill the cup. Yeah. Um, and like, sometimes I tell people the story and they get horrified that, um, pastor would say that to someone. I'm like, no, that's what ministering to people is Yeah, actually telling them the things you've, and he didn't tell me I'll do everything in my power to make sure you're never a minister. If I would have come out of that saying, no, I feel like this is yeah, that he would have done sure. everything he could to support me in it. But the first step to supporting me was just being honest with me, um, and guess what? I'm on a career now where I still work with people yeah. and I lead people and I get a chance to educate mm-hmm. and mentor when the opportunities come around um, and something that's wildly fulfilling. Uh, and I found that because I didn't just have to go the route I thought I was supposed to because it's what I'd kind of heard mm-hmm. in the air. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, and so so my, my call was very uneventful. Um, there was just kind of this, as, as a junior in high school in Brownwood, Texas, there was kind of just this, um, 
normal understanding that this is what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and and because the like and, and I tried. I was like, well, there's got to be something else that I can study. No, it was just yeah, you're you're going to go to me going to the ministry, and and what I knew is that that was not pastoral ministry. <laughs> uh, and so I loved music. I've been involved in choir and band. I grew. I, I I was the poster child for the old '80s and '90s graded school or graded church choir program, starting as in in elementary school and children's choir, and up through both children's choirs, then the youth choir, then involved in high school choir and band and marching mm-hmm. band. And, uh, and so I was like, it's funny. I, I remember thinking to myself when the time came, okay, A, you're going to the ministry. B, what's the next part of that? I remember thinking, well, I've been involved in music my whole life. I know a lot about music. I'm just going to go to music. Spoiler alert, I didn't know anything about mm-hmm. music. Because I got to my first music theory class and I was the dumbest one in the room. <laughs> but, but so there was kind of just this, this normal... Not assumption, that's not the right word, but but just a normal underwriting current of mm-hmm. this is going to happen. You're going to go and get a degree in church music because I, 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 I'd already been accepted to McMurray and tech. And um, I was I was I'm, I'm very introverted. And so the, the, the concept of going to a university the size of tech was terrifying. And so I, I went to McMurray in Abilene, got a, a bachelor's degree in church music with an emphasis on voice. And then um, at the time, and then by the time I was graduating from McMurray, uh, Katie and I were married and I was working in the Baptist church as a minister of music. I had some part-time gigs under my belt there in Abilene. And um, the, the, the church that I was working at, it was a great little church there in Winters. Um, but there was just some, some things going on where I just, I knew there's more, to, there's more for me out there. And, and I did not feel adequately prepared personally to, to, to advance in church music, in churches, go to larger churches, larger programs without the advanced degree. And so mm-hmm. I went on pursued a master's degree in church music from Hardin Simmons there in Abilene. Hardin um, Centers. Yeah, Hardin Centers. Um, and At Howard Payne, we always liked to say that uh, Hardin Simmons was our rival. Uh, but we, they weren't because they didn't know we existed. Like, um, like I cannot say that LeBron James is my basketball rival. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and that was uh, Howard Payne's much smaller than Harden Simmons. And uh, when you said Harden Simmons' name around the Howard Payne campus, people were like, there was like this hiss thing that people would do. Yeah. yeah I, no one does that at Harden Simmons for Howard Payne. I'm fully no. aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, ironically, I think McMurray was everyone's rival because I felt like every every team we played, they're like, oh, McMurray, but. <laughs> But like, man, when we were at McMurray, we went more than two full football seasons without scoring a touchdown. So <laughs> we've got they've gotten better, I think, since then. But but anyway, so so I'm I'm, I'm working at this Baptist church. I, I start my de- my graduate degree. I finish my graduate degree. We moved to another Baptist church, and then um, and then uh, I kind of just started to sense some things change. Um, but but I, I still knew that my calling was to music ministry, and so that's that's kind of what got my foot in the door uh, in ministry. I had some great experiences. 
um, in music ministry. One of the one of the most exhilarating moments that I will never forget is is the opportunity to to stand before a choir loft of 50 singers and a full orchestra of 30 players, strings, brass, woodwinds, percussion, everything, and and just make music and get to conduct an orchestra play in Trans-Siberian Orchestra, Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, and, and all these other great tunes. Um, that, that's, that's an experience that I will never match as a, in my life. Uh, and so I'm, I'm grateful for those opportunities, but. So I guess then the question comes up, how do we get from standing in front of 50 adult singers directing Trans-Siberian Orchestra yeah. Christmas music to college ministry? So you'd said that you felt like something wasn't fully yeah. there, with, but, but then how do we get from, okay, finding maybe this isn't the route to what was? Yeah, so, so there, was, there was like precursor shift and then there was shift, right? So like the, the soft shift happened with a job. Uh, I, I was working in, in a Baptist church and um, I got a phone call from Granbury First United Methodist Church, the pastor at the time. And I had a very dear friend of mine, all the way from high school, was the youth director at the time. And she called me. It was Holy Week. And I'd only been at this church three, three years. I hadn't been there long at all. And, and so, and, and it was a small town. And, and, we were, and Katie had a good job. I, I was getting, making good money. And, you know, I was off work at four in a small mm-hmm. town. And there's nothing. And so we loved the pace of life in this small town. And, I mean, loved it. And, but, but again, things were starting to shift. I, I, I started to, um, sense some, some shifts in my own personal theology of, 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 as I'm reading and studying the scriptures, I'm beginning to have some questions or actually it's not that I'm beginning to have some questions. It's I'm beginning to allow myself to address right. questions that have been underneath the surface this whole time that I've been burying because as you can imagine, a lifelong Baptist diving headfirst into a Methodist university, there's going to be some wrestling that happens. Uh, number one, it's that phase of life that we talked mm-hmm. about. Uh, you're going to college. It's the first time in your life where you're not somebody's son or daughter. And, and you have to, whether you like it or not, on some level, you have to do the hard work of making your faith your own. That's hard. It's real hard. And some people don't make it out on the other side yeah. on the faith. And we'll, we'll get more into that later. But um, so I, I, I started to sense some, some questions. And, and I found myself as I was teaching small groups or teaching Bible studies or just in conversations, I would, I would find myself saying some, some colloquialisms from that particular denominational worldview that... I immediately walked away saying, you don't believe that. Why did you say that? Mm, yeah. <laughs> but again, I was like, no, I just need to, I just need to bury that. Um, now, I, I, I tend to, you, you know, we've had enough conversation. I think you know me well enough to know that I, I try not to, um, the word that I use or, or the, the, the term, phrase, however you want to call it, is over-spiritualized. I try not to over-spiritualize everything. What I mean by that is I don't necessarily believe that God is so meticulously involved in every aspect 
of our life. Um, I don't necessarily believe that God cares what car we buy or what house we buy, or I don't think God necessarily cares who we marry or, or any of those things or what job we take or what job we don't take. I think what God cares about is, are you going to love me and love others? Mm -hmm. that's, that's what God cares about. If you can love others and love me and, it, and whatever you're doing fits into those things, then, then go for it. However, comma, I do believe that, that there was a, a, some aspect of divine providence in this phone call. Because as I've had conversations with other mentors of mine that, that have flat told me, I think you're still in the ministry because you left the Baptist church. Now, that's not against the Baptist church necessarily. That's just because I think they saw kind of these internal struggles that I, and questions that I was starting to have. Mm -hmm. And and it may or may not, depending on the circle that you're in, be um, be welcomed, right? Um, and so so it's Holy Week, and I get a phone call from this pastor. Actually, I get a phone call from the youth director, and she says, hey, don't be mad, but our, our youth director here at FEMC Granbury just announced that they're leaving. And I told my pastor that you might be interested and he's going to be calling you. Before she got the statement out, my phone's ringing <laughs> with him on the other line. And he says, hey, I'm pastor at Granbury FEMC. We've been giving your name. Want to know if you want to come to town and I'll take you to lunch and let's talk about this job. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know that I'm not interested. Let's, let's have I'm lunch. interested in free lunch. <laughs> yeah, and always. So I, I went and I had lunch with him and, and the associate pastor. And I just, it's one of those things where I just immediately felt a connection. Mm -hmm. So I was like, you know, my wife and I talked about it. She was super excited because she had grown up Methodist. And so she was like, and, and not only has she grown up Methodist, but she grew up in Granbury. And she's like, oh, like, I can go home, you know. Right. But she grew up at Acting United Methodist. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I sent him my resume and uh, went through the interview process. Long story short, they hired me. And, and uh, man, again, just some of the greatest experiences in, in ministry, in music ministry throughout that time. I was there for five years. And what, what I began to experience, the more I was in our kind of Methodist worldview, is that and the more I learned about Methodism and John Wesley and, and our theology of grace, the Methodist church was, was giving me articulation for some of the things that I was beginning to wrap my head around about what I believe scripture to teach us about who mm -hmm. God is and how God relates to us, the role of Jesus, the role of grace and, and how all these things play together. And, and, um, and the thing that I love the most about coming to the Methodist church is that we love questions. Yeah, I, uh, when we visited the, the Methodist church, uh, we had been uh, going to a Baptist church, and um, a number of the questions that I had always had that I had suppressed or I had chalked up to my own lack of faith is the only reason you have those questions, right? All those sort of guilt things that you use yeah. to press down. Um, I, I just kind of gotten to a, a point where I, just, I needed something different. Yeah, and so we started looking, and I was looking up different theologies of different denominations, and so we visited, and the first time we visited uh, the the church, the uh, the pastor was speaking on a particular uh, parable, and 
he said that when he looked at the, uh, you know, the, the lectionary and the, and the calendar for what was supposed to be um, preached on that week, he was like, I was really excited um, because I don't know what to do with this parable. <laughs> yeah. I don't understand it. I don't understand that. Like, I understand largely, yeah. but I don't understand this specific statement or part of it. And I have studied it, and I have read a lot of things, and I just still don't know what to do about it. And so I was so excited to talk about it, to tell you what thoughts I do have on it, the thoughts, the area where I have no thoughts because I can't figure any of it out. And then maybe somebody, uh, you can take me to lunch after the service, and maybe you have some <laughs> ideas on it. And, you know, the last part, he said a little, you know, sort of tongue-in-cheek, as you know, a little bit of a joke. But it blew my mind yeah. that the pastor stood up in front of the congregation and said, I don't know. Uh, and I'm actually excited to explore it and to hear other thoughts and to to sort of dialogue. Uh, yeah, to just dialogue on it and to admit yeah. that I've been I'm ordained and you know this pastor had been ordained for many years. Yep. Um, and uh, but still had questions. Was super comfortable in the confusion and in the questions. And uh, we left that service and I kind of turned to my wife and I was like, hey, this is a place I could be. Yeah, for absolutely. that reason. I, and yeah, and it it became the same for me is, and 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 that kind of has has bled over that experience with with what I experienced with the Methodists not only embracing but but you know encouraging questions. Uh, I tell my students all the time, look, if if you're not struggling with your faith, then you're not taking it seriously. Yeah, when I was in graduate school, one of my professors, she just I don't remember what we were talking about, but she just came out and said, she's like, you know, I am so done with answers yeah i just want more questions and i thought it's a that's a great like that should just be over every university and it probably should be over every church yeah um you know i was visiting with a pastor colleague in our in our conference and and you know he was talking about how his background is mathematics and and about this very notion of questions and maybe there's an answer maybe there's not and and i said well you know and i called him my name and i said you know that's what makes it hard, though. Like, like I'm okay with, with living in that space of, I don't know. But, but some people aren't. And he said, well, you got to keep in mind. Like He said, my background is mathematics. And, and in mathematics, zero can be an answer. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's, that's really profound. Mm-hmm. Really profound and really wise. And so, so yeah, so that kind of gets me to, to the Methodist church. Again, um, I'm, I'm still... still asking these questions at this time and again when I'm working in the Methodist church um, I did kind of I, I know a lot of people catch flack for using this word but I did kind of go through some deconstruction um, because I, I just I, I got to some point like there were just there were days where I had so many questions and I was I was so frustrated and and so little clarity and, and, and again, because, because my experience was not somebody, what, the, what everyone else around me was experiencing that told me that, that my experience was invalid. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it began this process of me saying, if I'm not having that experience and the experience that I am having is invalid, then is God even real? Mm-hmm. Is this all bullcrap? Um, I used a, a few different words, <laughs> but for the sake of this podcast, I'll keep it PG. But um, and and it was tough because 
man, I felt like a fraud mm-hmm. because I'm leading Bible studies and I'm leading small groups and I'm leading worship and I'm mentoring people and I'm doing all these things. Meanwhile, in the back of my mind, so much of it, I'm wondering if it's even real. And, um, and unfortunately, we have so many people that stop there. They, they get to that point of, I've been told that my experience is not valid. Therefore, the house of cards comes tumbling down. God is not real. The church has no place for me, nor do they want me there. Um, so I'm just going to go do my own thing, and we'll see what happens. What I love about our students, and, and they're, a lot of them are getting to the place where I was, is I, I was not okay with saying, well, that's just not what I believe, and walking away. Um, so many people do the deconstruction, and they stop there. What for me is I, I, I got to a place where whether, and, and I know those that have stepped away from the church, they'll say, well, that's just indoctrination, that's just brainwash, or whatever. Okay, if you want to believe that, that, that's fine. But whether it's that or whether it's real, for me, at the end of the day, when life happens and the crap hits the fan, it was always to my faith that I turned. And that told me, for whatever it's worth, there's something worth pursuing and looking further into here. And so because of that, I'm committed to not stopping at what I don't believe, but doing the harder work of saying, well, if that's not what I believe, then what do I believe? And that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and just beginning to come to grips with, like, what does it mean to believe something? The idea of things that are provable versus things you've just chosen to put some faith in. And I remember having a great friend, a great conversation with a really great friend who was agnostic. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and his wife was very staunchly atheist. And, uh, but, and we just had a, a wonderful relationship. And so he and I were talking one time and I told him, I was like, look, I am fully aware that the, the story and I believe the larger sort of meta sort of story of mm-hmm. Jesus and all of that, the odds are much more likely that that is all wildly untrue. Mm-hmm. And it is just the uh, the salve of the masses, right? Yeah. Odds are much more in favor that it is untrue. I intellectually understand that. And I have chosen to put faith in it anyway. Yeah. And that's what it is. And uh, I remember he went back and was talking to his wife about that, and she said, is he trying to convert you? And he said, no, he's just actually being honest with me. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, and I just thought that was a really great sort of just, just a little moment because then he came back and told me about that conversation. But, uh, but I don't know that I had ever been able to put it even into yeah. those words in my own mind until just sort of talking um, with him about that and that idea of sort of uh, I don't need to be able to prove it to know those areas where I'm just going to, like you said, this is worth pursuing to me and yeah. investing in. Yeah. Um, and I'm terrible at it. <laughs> right. And that doesn't mean that I'm doing it because somebody found a piece of wood somewhere, which means the ark has to be real. Like, right. I don't need that right. to find something to well, invest and, in. And, and I, think it's, I think it's really important for me to say, um, it's one thing for me to say that this faith is important to me and I'm going to pursue it. I want to be clear. I am not 
in favor of or condoning or denying the very real harm that the church has done from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think, you know, this whole, this whole Christian nationalist movement, um, that, that all is enough. <laughs> because when, when, people, when people come to me and they say, well, why would I believe in that? The church has done this. The church has done this. The church is this. The church has caused great harm. You're absolutely right. We have. Mm-hmm. And, and I think until more church leaders are willing to just own that and, 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 and take our heads out of the sand and say, we, we, we're human and we have done great harm. Um, and we, we own that. Then, then we're not going to reconcile anything. Um, because, in fact, I have a, a very good friend of mine, one of my best friends in the world, that, that has turned away from the church. And, and he and I have had many conversations like this, great conversations. And, and I flat told him, I said, if all of that is what it means to be Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus, the, the Christian nationalism, the very conservative legislations, the, thing, the, the harm to others because they live their life differently, if that's what it means to be Christian, then I want no part of it. And also, spoiler alert, I don't believe that's what Scripture teaches to be a follower of Jesus. Well, and I think those types of ideas, sort of looking back the larger sort of scope of that, I think aligns with something like what is a Wesley, what is a a college ministry, right? So Mm -hmm. these students are going to classes and their professors are telling them, in high school you wrote some research papers, (laughs) I do, uh, Air quotes there on my fingers. Um, I'm the only one that saw that. <laughs> uh, it's an audio medium, folks. So we, you do research papers, but all that means is you just go on Google and you just type an essay where you summarize all the stuff that yeah. Google told you. Maybe you go into the library and you just summarize whatever was in that book. Um, mm-hmm. That's not enough. If you are going to be a student at a university, you've got to dig deeper. You've got to um, ask questions beyond, like, okay, these are all the things that scholars in this field have already found out. It doesn't matter what that field is, whether it's physics, whether it's ag economics, um, whether it's international business, English, whatever it is, what things do we know and what more things can we ask? What new things do we not know? You need to, in your field, in your profession, contribute, go beyond, push farther. Yeah. Um, and then the idea that we don't want to do that when they come and they say, hey, I'd like to ask some questions about my own faith or just about the church, my relationship with the church, the relationship I've seen others have with mm-hmm. the church. I need to explore this further. Yeah. And in every part of their life as a student, we tell them push further. Failing to push further is failing to do what a student at your right. place in life should be doing. And then they come over here to this thing that we tell them is a wildly important part of their life. And we tell them, this is the only area where you should not push further. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think if if that is part of what the, the faith is, then it, it makes, and based on your descriptions of it for you, it makes it pretty sort of uh, easy for, I think, folks to see why then it is college ministry sort of is, is something that speaks to you. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we meet so many students um, that, you know, it's been this interesting shift in in the life of our of, of not just our students, but I think students across the board that we're, that we're meeting on campus is there's, there's more and more that when we meet them, their initial reaction is, 
mm, uh, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be a part of the church group. I'm not religious. You're talking about a mission trip. That's just colonization. I don't want to be any part of that. And, and you know, my, my answer is usually, that's fine. We're having free food. <laughs> come eat. And then they're like, well, I'll come eat your food. Um, but then, you know, half of our group, well, I mean, just at, on Tuesday nights at our, at our dinner church, we have maybe five of our students that are lifelong Methodists, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's the rest of that half would, would say that they probably grew up in some faith tradition at all. The other half of our group that comes on Tuesday nights that come every week will tell you they don't identify as Christian. They have no intention to. Now, I think it's important to note that they're still coming back to a faith community for a Bible study every Tuesday night, mm-hmm. even when they're saying, I don't, I don't identify as Christian. Um, and one of those students even started out there, and by the second semester, she was on staff working at one of our conferences, summer internships, asking, what does the church teach about dot, dot, dot? Mm-hmm. And when I hear her story, and, I, and she says to me at the end of the conversation, I'm so glad to have found the Wesley because I never knew churches could not be jerks to people because of the experience that she had growing up in church. And so the, the, the first time that we were in our discussion at dinner church and uh, we were talking about the Great Commission and, and I said, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think our calling, I don't think our Methodist theology says that we are, we are to be out saving people. I think that's, that's God's work, right? I said, I'm not here as the pastor of the Wesley to save anybody. My calling here is to invest in people and to build a community. And the minute I said that, the minute, the minute our students heard an ordained clergy person say that, the tension was, was removed from the room. Because so many times they, they walk into some of our other campus ministries here at Tarleton, and it's, well, we want to baptize you. We want to say you're, you're living in sin. You're, you know, and, and I'm not saying that the Methodist Church doesn't believe those things, right? But I think, I think our approach to that next step of faith, which is, that's what they're talking about, right? What's, what's your next step? Because I, I don't like to talk about it in terms of uh, how many baptisms have you had, how many salvations have you had, how many, whatever. I like to think in terms of next steps because for some of our students, the, the next step for them is simply embracing the fact that not all people associated with the church are the enemy. For others, however, they're, they've, been, they've been through this process, they've been through this faith development, and they're saying, maybe ordained ministry is my calling. And, and we've got students anywhere in between those two extremes that are, that are saying, okay, number one, what are my next steps? And number two, maybe this thing is worth me taking that next step, as little as it may be or as extreme as it may be. So... Um. You know, we, we've talked a lot about kind of parts of you that are sort of built for college ministry, you know, just the, the kind of yeah. the thoughts that you have and how those have sort of uh, evolved to where they were that led you to it. I, I think the last thing that, that I would sort of, I think is important maybe to discuss here is what have been new 
things that you've learned, new insights, unexpected sort of revelations, being part of, you know, being part of college ministry. So as you, there was a, some parts of it kind of a natural fit for things, but what are some things that it has revealed to you about yourself, your faith, other people that you maybe didn't think was going to be a part of the package uh, as you made your way into? Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the easy one is that I would have never dreamed that a large part of my job would be hanging out with college students and playing video games. <laughs> I mean, I, I love it. I love yeah. it because, you know, there's, and, and, and there's so much that happens, like, quote unquote, in ministry in the local church. That, that if, if you took a pastor that spent his or her whole ministry career, in the local church, right? In mm-hmm. downtown First United Methodist, wherever. And because I've had this conversation with some of them. And you you tell them, well, this is what we're doing at the Wesley. Well, how do you spend your day? Oh, well, I, I do this. I play video games. I hang out with them. We go out coffee. There's so much that happens in the context of campus ministry that so many people that are out of that world, they're like, that's not ministry. Right. <laughs> But it is because what is ministry? Ministry is building relationships over a common interest and investing in people. That's mm-hmm. what ministry is. And it's faith-based. Um, can it look like the downtown church that's program-driven? And Sure, absolutely it can. Does it have to? No. So, so that was the, the first really surprising thing is this is what I've always experienced ministry to be. Um, it doesn't have to be that. I mean, the there's a great book by Henry Cloud, Boundaries for Leaders, and he talks about in that book that that the reason so many leaders are unsuccessful is because they simply don't embrace the idea that they are ridiculously in charge. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and I just I got to the point and I was like, why why can't I do this? Why can't I start a nerd nerd culture ministry? Why can't I start a gaming ministry? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do Like, I can do this because that's where our students are living anyway. And we should be reaching out to them on their level, meeting them where they are. That's what grace is, is meeting people where they are. And so that was the kind of first realization. Um, man, the second one, and I think the most exhausting thing about campus ministry is how entrepreneurial it is. I'm working with a demographic that by and large is not gainfully employed. (laughs) And so our conference is really good at at financially supporting our our campus ministries as much as the budget will allow. And we get about 60% of our annual budget from the annual conference. The rest of that, I have to find. I have to market myself. I have to market the Wesley. We have to find donors that want to that want to partner with us and and I have to I have to find a way to tell the narrative to spark that passion that they're going to say this is something that that I want to be a part of. Right. And so that was that was kind of like the first like whoa. First of all, at that when I first came to campus ministry, I did not like asking people for money. <laughs> but uh, what do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. Right. <laughs> well, I think that that whole sort of fundraising, developing, those types of things, you can see how that ends up transitioning um, sometimes people who lead ministries. And, and again, not from sort of 
you know, nefarious sort of misleading, misguiding sort of ways into having sort of a numbers based argument for everything that they do. This many people are coming. We've had this many people do this, decide this, say this, because then you can go to a potential donor and you can hit them with numbers. And, and you, you know, the bigger the number, then the more they're going to think this has value. If you go to that same person and you say, well, last week, a couple people swung by the discord they're not going to have it. First of all, they're not going to know what you're talking about. Um, and then secondly, what value does that have to them? Right. What if, you know, if you say, well, you know, we were playing our game online and, a, you know, so-and-so had their roommate throwing some headphones and joined in and it was a lot of fun and, and she was super cool and she was also super good at that game. She carried us <laughs> and we won a few games just because yeah. she was there. I don't know if she's ever going to come Tuesday night or not, but... Um, just a couple minutes in, she seemed really comfortable with the group and having a lot of fun, and it was awesome. And she got me a win. Yep. Um, but <laughs> and I'm still bronze five. <laughs> and it's harder to um, to sometimes make turn that into a thing people want to put their money behind, and so you start feeling like, okay, well, right. I have to have some tangible number stuff, right. and I have to start selling a part of the of the the whole program that I don't even believe is actually what's valuable. So yeah. being able to Keep your focus on the thing you think is valuable, the thing that your community is telling you is valuable, yeah. uh, and then also helping other people to see there's value in that um, when they can see some other things doing some really cool stuff. Um, yeah, and, I mean, and not, you're right. And also not giving in to somehow devaluing mm-hmm. some really cool stuff that's going on. I mean, that, right. Right, I mean there, are some, there are some other great campus ministries around this campus doing excellent yeah. things. Um, That's right. And trying to understand and sort of hone in on what is truly valuable about something going on in one place, um, there's enough oxygen in the room for the great thing that's happening over here to also continue being great and supplementing and and, uh, and not feeling like one thing to be successful has to do so stepping right. on uh, another. And then drawing lines of differentiation also means drawing lines of evaluation, better, worse, Right. No. Uh, and, and in all of our worlds, we can do that. We can start competing and, and measuring versus seeing them in, in other ways. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's um, one that, that we certainly can, can see there. And, and, and I think that uh, sometimes it's just good to listen to uh, our people, the people of the community. Yeah. And what I mean, things it's, speaking to you? it's understandable, right? I mean, you're right. Nobody, I mean, nobody wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, you know, I, I think, I, I think I'm just going to be pain in someone's backside today. I mean, I'm sure there's people out there that are like that, but I choose to believe there's not. <laughs> but it's it's hard. It's like because because when you when you when you have this and it is, it's it's a whole culture. The nerd culture is this whole like separate world and and if you're not in it and you don't know the lingo and then it's it's hard to it's hard to quantify the the fruitfulness of nerd ministry or gaming ministry if if you're not in that world i mean it, it's and, and I, I don't say this to demean it at all but it's it's the same as when i was in my mid-20s at a church that found out we had a quilting ministry <laughs> i mean that that was not something that was not a world that i was in that was not but but the bottom line was bottom line is that that was that was a, a thing that happened to cultivate relationships and build community over common ground of a shared interest. And that's what we're doing with the nerd culture and the gaming ministry. 
throw some facts out. Did you know that, that now I understand that two are not apples to apples, but did you know that um, the gaming world has outgrown Christianity by almost a billion people? And in the past four years, there have been an average of 125 million more gamers a year for the past four years. And as of 2021, a Gallup poll shows that uh, church membership for the first time has dropped below 50%. Hmm. Yeah. We, we have, we as the big capital C church, we're sending missionaries into every culture in every continent that we can, sometimes to their death almost because of where they're going because it's illegal, in every language that we can, as much as we can, except for this world, the gaming world. Now, we're just now getting to the point where there's some churches that are starting to pop up. Love Thy Nerd, um, Checkpoint Church, there's several of them. There's even a Nerd Culture Ministry Summit that, that a few of us are going to be going to because, because the church is finally starting to say, not only is your, your hobby a sin, not a sin, but we want you because we have pastors that are passionate about these things. And, and the, both can, the both can exist. And so it's just, it's building a community over a common ground of shared interest. And um, probably nothing you could have ever imagined uh, no. would be where you were taking a ministry when you never. started out with college ministry. Uh, no, never, never. In fact, I, I mean, I've, I've always loved video games. I, I got a, a Nintendo Entertainment System for Christmas when I was... Oh, probably like the third year after it came out, and we were we were allowed to play it uh, only on weekends after we got our chores done, and all we had was a little uh, black and white TV with the knobs to turn mm-hmm. the channels. We had to make sure it got on channel three or four. It was black. I I I, I didn't even know Mario had color for a long <laughs> time, and that's pretty much the only game that we had. Um, and then and then for a long time I I. I didn't play any video games, and then I got to college and got a job, got my money, had a play, a used PlayStation, then I bought a GameCube, then I bought an Xbox, and I found Halo, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, and then there was no going back. No going back. All right, so thank you all for tuning in with us. There, are, if, if you want to know more about the Wesley, you can go to our website www.tarletonwesley.org. If you uh, if if you have just really found passion that, that you want to partner with us in ministry, and you're really excited about the transformative work that God is doing in the lives of our students, and you want to be a part of that, you can partner with us. Just go to our website www.tarletonwesley.org and click on resources and then click on the Donate tab. We also have what's called the Wesley 1225, and through the Wesley 1225, we are, we are looking for individuals to commit $25 a month for 12 months. And, and on that tab, you can set it up with your credit debit card to be recurring. Um, the joke that I tell Ben is that I, I spend more money than that a month on coffee. <laughs> right. Um, but... Uh, we, just, we, love, we love our recurring donations through the Wesley 1225, but more important than the money, it, along with the 1225, is we, we invite you to pause every day at 1225 and pray for the Wesley. Pray for our students. Pray for me and Kelly, our ministry assistant. Pray for the, the faculty and staff at Tarleton. 
and um, and just pray that that we can just meet more students um, throughout throughout the semester. Um, and and you can find us on all social medias: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. What's the last one? Snapchat. There we go. Haven't made your way onto threads yet? <laughs> Haven't made it to threads yet. We are debating on going, getting into TikTok, but you can't access TikTok on campus now. Correct. Um, as of a government legislation, correct? Yes, I believe Yeah. That. So we're, we're toying with some of those ideas. Um, if, you, if you love gaming and you want to see what's going on or just jump in some of the games with us or just jump and hang in the chat with us, Shoot me a DM um, or an email. You can go to our website. My contact information is on there. You can text me, and I can send you an invite to that Discord. Who knows, by the time of publishing this episode, we may even have uh, individual ways that you can uh, connect with the Discord directly through the podcast uh, and that sort of thing. So at the end of each episode, I thought it would be really fun to kind of... Because some of these episodes, like today, it was, it was kind of a little heavier episode. They're, they're not all going to be heavy, I don't think. But at the end of each episode, I thought it'd be fun for us to kind of turn to social media and answer any questions that, that may have popped up since the recording of the last one. And so if you're listening to this podcast and you have a question for either me or our guest host uh, or all the above, it doesn't have to be anything of consequence. It can be what's your favorite flavor of ice cream, you know, or it could be a what if or, or anything, any question that you have, uh, just a plain curiosity, pop it in that social media and the end, at the end of each episode, uh, we will we'll try if we have time to get into some of those questions just so that you can kind of just get to know us better and we can get to know you better. And, uh, and I just think it'd be, it'd be a good thing for us to do. Well, that is going to be it for episode 001 of The Pursuit. Special thanks to Dr. Ben Soar for joining us today. Uh, ben, do you have any other thoughts or ponderings you'd like to offer up for our listeners between now and the next episode? I think I would just say, hey... I want to say thank you for the opportunity, the invite. Yeah. It's been awesome. Um, you know, uh, part of this outro here is talking about hoping that people will continue to listen. Yeah. Um, hopefully, one of the things you've picked up from this is that um, I think it is, and Corey, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think one of the goals of the, this ministry is also to listen yeah, to people. absolutely. Um, whether it's a, a small, fun question that you want to put at the end of a podcast, whether it's something deep, or they just want to log on to Discord or a chat uh, and talk about something and just feel like somebody's wanting to listen yep. and to hear, um, then uh, hopefully I, Corey, others here, uh, part of the leadership of the Wesley uh, can be that. Uh, and I, that's right. So, so that's the, the last thing I want to say okay. is uh, thank you for listening to us, and we'd love to have the opportunity to really listen uh, right. and, and support you. Good deal. And with that, we are out. And remember... You matter. And because you matter to God, you matter to me. And the world is a better place with you in it. So I, I would encourage you today to go and spread positivity, enjoy today, and change someone's world. Deuces. Deuces.